1: Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of the Career Contessa Podcast, your shortcut to being more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Laura McGoodwin. People are drawn to and influenced by leaders who communicate authentically, connect easily with people, and have an immediate impact. So how do you become one of these people? How can you fill the missing gap between your qualifications and real success? The answer is through executive presence. Today, I'm joined by executive coach, author, and host of Harvard Business Review podcast, Coaching Real Leaders, Muriel Wilkins. Not only does she have years of experience working with leaders, but she can also teach us how to develop our own signature voices. And now this is the Career Contessa podcast. Hi, Muriel. Welcome to the show.
0: Hi. So happy to be here with you.
1: So let's start with a brief introduction of who you are and your experience in leadership.
0: Absolutely. So I am Muriel Wilkins. I am the co founder and managing partner of Paravis Partners, and we are an executive coaching and leadership development consultancy. I'm also the host of the Harvard Business Review podcast, Coaching Real Leaders, and a co author of the book, Own the Room, which is about leadership and executive presence, which is what I think we're going to be talking about today. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I have my background before I got into all of this work in leadership development close to 20 years ago. Prior to that, I was an executive myself working in strategy and marketing work and then made the transition over to this line of work because I needed it.
1: I was going to ask you how, like what made you make the transition because you had an amazing coach who inspired you or you were like, there's a need and I kind of want to stop being an executive?
0: (laughs) Yeah, no. It was kind of in the middle. I needed a coach. And when I went looking for one, I couldn't really find one that Mm -hmm. spoke my language as a business person and as a business executive. I found that it was a little too, how shall I put it, a little too woo-woo for me. And so then a mentor of mine... Suggested. He was like, Well, I think you'd be great at starting your own business. Why don't you become an executive coach? Very naively. That sounds so easy. (laughs) (laughs) Very naively, I was like, Okay. And
1: here we are 20 years later, longest job that I've ever kept. Are you, I know it's funny because I'm an entrepreneur and it's the longest job I've also ever had. (laughs) So curious. So when you decided to become an executive coach, so anyone listening to this is kind of a tangent from our topic today. Did you go through like a coaching credential program or how does someone become an executive coach? I
0: did. I did. I sort of hung up my shingle like most people do, you know, right away. And then knew... You know, from early on, that I did want to get credentialed and certified and kind of trained in what it actually means to be an executive coach. So I attended the Georgetown University coaching certification course and went through that. And it's amazing because back then, I think I was the 10th group to go through it, cohort 10, and they're now like on cohort 100 and something. So it shows you how the field has grown you know, over the past 20 years. So there weren't many of us back then. And now it's just like everybody's coach.
1: (laughs) Totally. I, I will say my only issue with that is I do, and we have a career coaching platform. And part of that reason is because if you Google career coach, there's like 30 million results that come up and I'm with you. I don't love the woo woo. I love really practical. And I also love coaches and executives who have been there, successfully done that, had the experience. If you guys haven't listened to her podcast, Coaching Real Leaders, do it. It's really fantastic. It also gives you an idea of like what it is like to work with a coach because I think people are also very unsure of that experience. So
0: although I will say, Lauren, like I always tell people the way that I coach on the podcast and just the way that I coach is my way of coaching. Yeah. Not the way of coaching. Right. So I say I didn't want a woo-woo coach. But that doesn't mean that there are other people that don't, right? So what's great is there is, you know, just like you say, in romantic relationships, there's somebody for everybody. Yeah, exactly. There is a coach for everyone. And I'm not necessarily that person for everyone. So always make that really clear. Like, yeah, you know, I'm not the, the hallmark, if you will.
1: No, I totally agree. And, you know, it also depends on what stage you're at in your career as to what you need. Like, and the style. So, well, today we're going to be talking about a big buzzword that I've heard a lot of, and I'm I'm sure so have our listeners, executive presence. And I'll be honest, even in this line of work, I'm a bit unsure of what it really means and what it really looks like in the workplace. So can you give us an overview of executive presence? Like where did this term come from? Because it seems to be like you got to have it. But like, who decided that? It's so
0: funny that you say, you know, you're not quite sure what it is. Like, that's the reason why I and my business partner looked into it. Because we were also, when we were coaching people very early on, our clients were getting feedback that they needed to improve their executive presence. And then you would ask the people who gave the feedback, well, what do you mean by that? What is it? They're like, oh, I don't know, but you know, if I see it, I'll know what it is. Yeah. And I'm like that has that's got to be the awful. most unhelpful <laughs> developmental feedback yeah. you ever give. And so that's kind of what set us out to say, well, what is it? How do you define it? And what we did is we kind of looked at people who had been sort of labeled as having effective presence, effective executive presence or effective leadership presence, and what were the attributes that they brought to the table? And what we found is that when one has executive presence or leadership presence, basically it means that others who are around them experience them as being a leader. They feel like they are in the presence of a leader or the presence of an executive. And I use those terms interchangeably for the the purposes of this conversation. And that has nothing to do with where the individual is hierarchically. It really is about the way that they present themselves. And what we found is that the impact that they end up having on individuals or the energy that they give off is that they're able to achieve two things. They come off as credible and they come off as relatable. They do Mm. both. And when you are in the presence of somebody who is both credible and relatable, you subconsciously end up feeling like yes, this is somebody who has executive presence. This is somebody who has leadership presence.
1: Yeah, and you bu- you're you like, I want to buy into what this person is saying and doing. Yeah, well, you
0: might buy into the direction. And even if you don't, there is still a level of connection that you feel with them, right? And so it's having both those, right? It's your ability as an individual, when you have strong leadership presence, it's your ability to demonstrate your value, drive your message forward, drive the agenda forward, set direction, and at the same time, ensure followership by making a connection and aligning with others. So you're really playing both sides of those. And that's why we call that, on the one hand, it's having a voice for yourself. And on the other hand, it's also giving a voice for others. And those who are able to do both, they're the ones at that sweet spot who are able to effectively have leadership presence.
1: Mm-hmm. It's interesting that we call it executive presence just because it seems like it's a little bit more around your voice because when I think of presence, I, 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 like my initial gut reaction is like how a person looks, right? Or like, and I know we're all kind of biased in this, like what a leader looks like and and how they talk. and And it's so it's interesting to me that we call it executive presence because you guys talk a lot about in your book, especially, how someone can demonstrate an authentic value in a distinction of work and have this distinct voice, right? This signature voice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really important that we call it a signature voice. There's a reason why we called it a, a signature, right? When you think about your signature that you sign, I mean, nobody uses a pen anymore, but <laughs> pen and you sign your signature, you know, your signature, does two things, one, it's unique to you. And two, it makes an impression on that piece of paper. And that's what you're Presence does. It needs to be unique to you. It needs to be authentic to you. And at the same time, it needs to make an impression that is relevant to the other. And Mm as you said, a lot of times people have tended to look at, you know, presence is just the way that you look or what you wear. That's just the outer layer. And what that does is then not necessarily make it authentic to you because it really is about, let me try to emulate Joe, right? Yeah. And I I tell my clients, like, that's another thing They I said, well, what do you think executive presence is? They're like, I don't know, but like Joe. And I'm like, but you're not Joe. So let's figure out who you are and let's figure out how we make you relevant and resonate with everybody else. So it does go beyond the outer layer. In fact, we look at it in terms of There are three different dimensions to building your leadership presence. There is the outer layer, which is the physical, but there's also the skills that you have in terms of how you communicate, as well as the mindset that you bring to any given situation. And you have to be integrated in all three of those.
1: What goes great with an end of summer vibe? How about a checking account with no monthly fees? Chime is a refreshing way to handle your money. It has no monthly fees, no maintenance fees, or minimum balance fees. It's how banking should be. Banking with Chime is just so easy and instant. A few benefits of Chime include getting paid up to two days earlier with direct deposit, a fee-free overdraft up to $200, and 24-7 live support with a real human. If you're wondering why there are no monthly service fees or minimum balance requirements, well, it's because Chime's model doesn't rely on those fees. They want to profit with their members and not from them. That's why Chime is a financial technology company founded on the premise that basic banking services should be helpful, easy, and free. We talk a lot about money and finances on our show, and I think that we can all agree that we're well aware that at times finances, banking, and what to do with your money can seem really overwhelming. But the good news is that it doesn't have to be. With Chime, when you need to access your money, you can do so fee-free at more than 60,000 in-network ATMs at many locations like most Walgreens, 7-Elevens, and CVS. You can also send money to anyone, even if they aren't on Chime, fee-free for you and no cash-out fees for them. Chime is changing the way you feel about money. Join the millions of members on Chime and feel good about your finances. Chime, no monthly fees, no vibe-killing fees. Sign up for a Chime checking account It only takes two minutes and it doesn't affect your credit score. Get started at chime.com slash Contessa. That's chime, C-H-I-M-E dot com slash Contessa. Chime is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by and debit card issues by the BankCorp, Bank, or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. Out of network ATM withdrawal fees apply except at MoneyPass ATM in a 7-Eleven location and at any Allpoint or Visa Plus Alliance ATMs. Other fees such as third party and cash deposit fees may apply. All right, now let's get back to the show. Do you want to start a company but have no idea where to begin? Or do you have dreams of becoming an influencer? Well, the Life with Mariana podcast is here to help. I'm Mariana Hewitt, a Los Angeles-based influencer and co-founder of the Clean Skincare line, Summer Fridays. Each Tuesday, I'm talking to my friends from business owners, wellness experts, and more to share all of their best advice
0: for you to live your best life. Make sure to tune in and subscribe to my podcast and follow
1: me on Instagram at Mariana underscore Hewitt to see what's coming up each week so you don't miss an episode. It's interesting you said that because I immediately thought of this example of a friend of mine. He works for a consulting firm. And he was describing this other guy when they were on a call and he was like, he knows his stuff. Like, you should hear him on the call. Like, he's able to throw out all the lingo of how they're going to, you know, how the company is going to use this software tool. And so to your point about, like, skills and being able to articulate that skill set, just being able to, like, use that lingo, he clearly like to my friend, my friend was like, this communicated executive presence to me, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But
0: I think that's the tip of it, right? Right. If you really say, okay, well, what drove that? What What is it that this person did that it felt like to you, he was credible and he knew his stuff. You start getting into it. And there's so many little behaviors and actions that that person takes. And that's what most people do. They say, I say, okay, well, what kind of presence do you want to have? They're like, oh, I want to show up as confident." I'm like, okay, confident is not a verb, right? <laughs> it's an adjective. It's a feeling that you give somebody or I want to come off as engaging and inspiring. Great. If it was that easy, we would all be doing it. But if we really want to get down to it, what is it that somebody does? What are the small actions and behaviors or the way that they think that lead up or as I say, increase the probability that the feeling you will convey to the other is one of confidence or inspiring or engaging. So I always tell my clients, start off with defining what is the presence that you want to have, right? What is the, how do you want others to experience you? And once you know what that is, then we can peel back the onion and determine what are the actions and behaviors that will get you there. And then you choose, (laughs) do
1: you want to do it or not? Right. So can we walked through that a little bit. How would somebody, let's say someone, uh, the executive presence they want is credibility. How do they create this distinction at work or or create that to others? And like you said, you peel back the onion and create these action steps. What's like an example of that?
0: Yeah. So let's say credibility is one of the aspects or one of the areas that somebody wants to work on, right? How do they convey credibility in a meeting, let's say. So that's the outcome. So there's three areas that you want to think about, your mindset, the skills that you're using, and then the physical energy that you're giving off. And are all three of the the ways that you're using those levers, do they support you coming off as credible to that particular audience, so context is important, or does it detract from it? Mm -hmm. And so when you think about mindset, for example, what's a mindset that supports Coming off as credible. Well, a mindset is I know the area that I know, and I'm not here to prove that I'm an expert in the areas that I don't know. Mm-hmm. The opposite of that would be, oh my gosh, the you walk into a meeting and your mindset is, oh my gosh, everybody knows more than me. They know more than me. I I don't know anything. I don't even know why I'm at this meeting. Let me tell you something. If that's your mindset walking in, there's no way you can come off as credible. You know, at least not past the first two minutes. Right. So mindset is the first. And mindset is not about lying to yourself. It's about choosing which narrative, which thoughts are actually going to be helpful for you in that situation. Then the second level is skill. And the skill is communication skills when it comes to presence. And so what are the communication skills that show credibility? It's your ability to speak in a very clear, concise, structured way. Rambling does not convey credibility.
1: (laughs) Okay. Not at all.
0: (laughs) Right. I work with my clients on, okay, what do you want to say? And then we come up with a, a framework for how they can convey that message in a very clear, concise, structured way. Okay. And then the last part is physical energy. That depends on, again, the context that you're in. In some cultures, it's about having direct eye contact. It's about being able to, you know, not have a huge smile on your face and being serious. It's about kind of standing tall. And in other cultures, it may be something different. So you do want to think about it from a cultural standpoint. What can you do that's within your control from a physical standpoint that commands credibility, right? I'm Mm -hmm. five foot three. So being tall, which some people see as, oh my God, that commands credibility. Well, you know what? Sorry. Like beyond wearing five inch heels, which I'm not going to do, there's not much I do. So what's at my disposal? What is Mm -hmm. at my disposal that I can use? And a lot of people tend to overlook that.
1: It's also, I feel like sometimes in this topic, people will say, fake it till you make it, you know, act like you know the topic, act confident, you know, stand up, ask the questions, even if you're like, you know, just to hear yourself speak. And that really doesn't work in this at all. I mean, it doesn't. It
0: doesn't in terms of that being the only strategy. Mm Mm-hmm. Rather than fake it till you make it, I tend to tell my clients, okay, put that to the side. What I need you to do instead is believe that you can be what you envision, right? Just believe that, the, that if you said you want to be credible, let's assume you can be credible. Because if we can't assume that from the get-go, all of this is for naught. So I need you to believe. Mm-hmm. And now let's take all the steps that prove the belief, prove the hypothesis rather than the opposite way around. But the fake yeah. it till you make it, I mean, that, that's a whole debate out there. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. I,
1: uh, yes, I totally get it. I want to take a quick break to talk about a new show from Dropbox. It's called Remotely Curious. From our in-person office to a podcast studio to setting up my own at-home podcast recording studio, I've recorded from some pretty interesting places over the past couple of years. When we couldn't go into the office, a lot of us had to learn how to work remotely overnight. There wasn't a manual or a playbook. We just had to wing it. And maybe it's time we ask, how is it going? We must have figured it all out, right? If you connected to anything I just mentioned or are just interested in learning about the new world of work, I'd highly recommend Remotely Curious. It's a new podcast from Dropbox that asks all the questions about hybrid, remote, or as they call it, virtual first work. With the help of experts, psychologists, scientists, authors, and more, host Tiffany Jones-Brown takes on the biggest challenges of the new working reality, things like the nuances of remote work etiquette and how to maintain work friendships. Whether you're working from home or you're commuting to the office twice a week, or if you're just remotely curious, this one's for you. Listen to Remotely Curious wherever you're listening to this show right now. All right, now let's go back to the show. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. That's true when your business is growing fast, and even more true when there's a lot of uncertainty. Inflation is running rampant, supply chains are clogged, and the labor market is tight. But what does that mean for your margins? Well, the good news is that not every business is in the dark. Because over 31,000 businesses know their numbers. Because they use NetSuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system. As a business owner myself, I know how important it is to have control of all your finances so that you can plan and budget. The great thing about NetSuite is that it's one unified business management suite that makes it super easy to manage your risks, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. NetSuite makes financial operations more efficient and helps you get better control of inventory and fulfillment. It gives you the visibility and control to make the right decisions now. Like I mentioned, NetSuite has everything you need in one place. Reduce the time spent on operating your finances and spend more time engaging with your customers or providing a higher level of service. NetSuite is an overall smarter approach to your business's finances, which makes decision making faster and easier. I think we can all say we want that. NetSuite helps you identify rising costs, automate your manual business processes, and see where to save money, resulting in an overall improved efficiency actually know your numbers and your business with NetSuite. Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash Contessa right now. netsuite.com slash Contessa. One more time. That's netsuite dot slash Contessa. All right. Now let's get back to the show. One of the other things you talked about with executive presence is people feel like they can relate to you. I love that. and I think I, I do think that's a really important part for executives and leaders, and people stick around with good bosses. And if you're a leader listening to this or a manager, what are some things that you can do to become relatable? Is that having more one on ones with your team and getting to know them more? I mean, what what are the things you should be doing so that you actually become more relatable to them?
0: So look, at the end of the day, being relatable, which is not the same as being likable. I can feel like somebody's relatable, which means, yeah, yeah, I can be around them. Like they don't suck the energy out of the room every time. We've all been around those people. It's like every time you're around, you're like, oh my God. You know, when we were in person, they walked down the hallway. You were like, yeah. let me go the other you're way. Like, shoot, shoot, go around. <laughs> yeah. And they, they can be the most credible person in the world, but you're like, I just can't be around them. Right. Mm-hmm. Relatable is about connection. And so, how do you connect with somebody? Really, I mean, you know, I joke with my clients sometimes. I'm like, I don't know. I've been in a relationship for 30 years, so I don't know if this still stands. But, you know, when you go on a date, what do you do? You like, you give space for the other person to show who they are. You hold space for them. And that makes them feel like you've connected with them, right? Same, that goes for any human relationship, including work. Hold space for the other person. So what does that mean in concrete terms? Do you listen Do you pay attention to what the other individual is doing? Do you actually hear and seek to understand what they're saying? Do you ask them for their opinion or their questions or just about them, right? So it literally is about giving a voice to the other person. So many people think that being relatable is if I just talk a lot about myself, then we'll find some point of connection. No. The connection, ha- everyone has a need to feel connected. And the way they feel connected is, oh my gosh, that person saw me and heard me and understood me. And so yeah. if you can show that to somebody, nine times out of 10, that person will walk away saying, Yeah, that, that was like a great experience. Yeah. Right? And that's it. And then the other piece is sharing a little bit as well about yourself. This is the whole thing about being vulnerable. You know, I have clients who say, oh my God they told me I need to be vulnerable. Does that mean I need to share my whole life story? I'm like, no, just like, you know, maybe admit every now and then that you didn't know how to do that either, or that you don't understand it. Show that you're human, right? So that they can relate to you on, on a human level and not just from a place of, being the expert or being yeah, you know the type A person.
1: If a person's listening to this and they're like, executive presence is something, maybe I recognize it in someone else and I recognize that's a part of something I want to work on, you know, part of my kind of career development goals for the next year, what have you. Where would you tell them to start? like what should they be doing?
0: Yeah. so I mean the first place to start, quite frankly, is try to get some feedback, okay. And if you don't have somebody who can get the feedback, I mean, that's the role that I play a lot as a coach is I can get feedback from my clients and I get it raw and dirty. You know, people (laughs) tell me things that they wouldn't tell anybody else. They tell me uh, and that I can translate it to my client. But if you can't do that, you can ask for feedback. But I would be very specific in the feedback that you ask, which means pick a particular forum. right? So say, oh, I have to present. So I'm going to ask feedback specifically about that presentation that I'm going into next week. How did I speak? How did I come across physically? What what did I do well? What could I have done better? Be very specific about what you ask. Because it's important when you think about your presence to realize, again, that it's also about how others experience you. And if you don't know how others are experiencing you, you have no idea how you're coming off. So it's important to have that information. So that's the first place to start. Then the second place is, as I said, I would pick a specific area to work on, right? Is it your presence with your team? Is it your presence with people more senior than you? Is it presence in presentation areas? Is it presence in one-on-one conversations? Or is it in town? Like the more you can bring it down to a very tactical situation, the better off you'll be. And then with those situations, then, you know, you could work through the process of saying, okay, If it's for a particular meeting, how do I want to come off? How do I want others to experience you? And then go through that checklist that I said before. Mindset-wise, where do I need to be? What communication skills can I use that will help me drive to that outcome? And then physically how I want to come off. And then you practice, you practice, you practice.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. That's like literally a business class 101 narrowed down to like, here's a simple framework. I think that's incredibly helpful. (laughs) You just saved us a lot of time and money. Thank you. I aim to please. Yes, exactly. Okay. So as we wrap up, I wanted to ask you if you had two illustrative examples of people using executive presence to your point, I think there's a tactical side of this and then there's sort of the learning and the definition of it. So do you have some illustrative examples you can share?
0: Sure, absolutely. So I'll share examples of people who kind of lost their voice, lost their signature voice, lost their leadership presence, and then regained it. And that can happen to all of us. I mean, this is something that's really important. Executive presence, leadership presence is not one of those things that you get at one time and then it's done, you've mastered it, because it's very situational, it's very contextual. And so, whenever you're shifting situations and context, you have to think, ask yourself the question what is the presence that I need? to be as effective as possible in this particular context. So one example is an individual who had very successful, got up their career really, really quickly, a star performer. And she actually, because she's a star performer, got a lot of additional responsibilities, right? Really scaled her role. And whereas before, she could sort of drive all the work through herself, now relying on her peers became way more important. And what was happening is, you know, what had once been seen as her being assertive was now coming off as being aggressive. And why? Because she was really driving hard in terms of voice for self, but not really on that credibility factor and driving things forward, but not on the relatability piece when it came to her peers. So, what she ended up having to do is what we talked about before spending more time listening to her peers, spending more time figuring out what's important to her peers in terms of the work that she was doing, spending more time getting buy in from them rather than just driving to here's what we're going to do. I've got it figured out. I'm going to do it. And it was really important for her because she just didn't, re- she really didn't just have the physical capacity anymore to do everything. So, this was an example of her kind of balancing back out her presence with the relatability factor. She had leaned way too much on voice for self and credibility and not enough on the relatability. And she needed to balance it back by focusing on the relatability a bit more to bring the pendulum to the middle. So it wasn't that easy for her to listen, but yeah she got it. <laughs> yeah.
1: It is really hard for people to do that. Mamba, but, but
0: yeah, but like that's going to be such a waste of time. I already know what the answer is. And we're like, okay. Yeah. What's the outcome here? Okay. Like, is the outcome just getting to the answer and leaving a bunch of dead bodies along the way, (laughs) or is the outcome to get to the answer and, right, ensure that there is critical mass that's buying into the answer? And she's like, both. I'm like, okay, then you got to work both. So that's one example. And then on the other hand, I have somebody who is sort of the opposite, where He was tasked with an initiative where he had to kind of drive an initiative that was cross-functional to well-known, very, somebody who people loved across the organization. And what happened was he spent so much time trying to get buy-in from all the different stakeholders. He started going to meetings with the executives and they, you know, they got to a point where they were like, okay, so what are we doing? Yeah. Right. What's the recommendation? What's the way forward? And he ended up slowing down the process that then people started losing confidence in him. So he was the opposite in that he was starting to, they still liked him, right? It was like, hey, let's have lunch, you know, with Joe. But he was starting to lose credibility. And so what he had to do is say, okay, I've got the connection piece down, but now I need to work on, you know, I need to kind of build back up on the credibility. So he had to make recommendations, be really clear about how he was going to drive to a decision, set milestones, show quick wins. So it was all about setting that direction and moving things forward so that people then regained confidence in him and being able to drive. So that was an example of like having to really demonstrate his value. In terms of leading the initiative, that it wasn't just about getting the buy in, but also driving the initiative forward.
1: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you need the executive to make a decision, right? Like, we can't just have nice conversations all day long. You do expect your leader to come to you and say, here's what we're doing, here's the game plan, here's why we're doing this game plan, and then, like, you know, sharing the progress along the way. I do think there are a lot of people in workplaces right now where they, It's a very gray area as to like, what are we doing and why? Or like, how does this matter to the bigger picture? And I would also say from like a motivation standpoint for leaders to their direct reports is like, that is also very, very important. (laughs) And there's so many people, I feel like we interview them and they're like, I was hired for this job, but then they told me to do this. And I don't know what I'm doing. It's just like a sea of ambiguity doesn't work well.
0: Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And really, it's a matter of balancing both, right? You can't The whole point is that you can't abandon one for the other. You always need to be holding both agendas. So even the people who are operating in ambiguity, it might mean that they need to have a stronger voice for themselves, right? Are you asking for direction? Are you saying, okay, if I'm not getting direction, I'm going to recommend what the direction is. So it really is something that can work at all levels so that regardless of where you're in the organization, you can demonstrate leadership in spite of the role that you're in.
1: Yeah, I love that. Well, this has been incredibly helpful. If people want to follow your work, listen to you on the podcast, can you just share where they can do all that? Sure,
0: absolutely. So my podcast is with Harvard Business Review. It's called Coaching Real Leaders. You can find it on any of the podcast services, Apple, Spotify, etc. You can find me on LinkedIn. That's the best place to, to see me on social media. So Muriel Wilkins, and you'll find me there. I also have a community called Coaching Real Leaders Community which is at com, And you can find me
1: there as well. Amazing. We'll put all the links to that in the show notes. Muriel, this has been incredibly helpful. And like I said, everybody, I have listened to the podcast. It's very good. And I feel like one of my favorite parts about your podcast is that it really is listening to real people's situations. So I like the tactical because I think for me, I really like the context. I like the storytelling of like, well, tell me what's happening. And I think Oftentimes with career advice, what's challenging about it is that it is so deeply personal. And that so it it is really great that you're you get people who will actually share the context, which I, you know, those are brave souls who are willing to do it. But it is fantastic. I am hugely indebted to them. And my
0: rationale for even starting the podcast was because I didn't want people to feel so alone.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so when you hear, which I hear all the time, like, oh, my God, that guest is me you start realizing we all are connected by the challenges and experiences that we have. And it doesn't need to be as lonely a road as people think it is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, keep up the good work. We're indebted to you as well. And thank you so much for joining the show. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Queer Contessa podcast. You guys already know what I'm going to ask for you to do, which is to rate and review our show. It really helps our show so much. And we really are getting more listeners, which is all thanks to you guys for rating and reviewing the show. If you want to learn more about Muriel and all those links that she mentioned, I put all of them in the show notes.